0: Hey friends, this week has been especially busy for me. So I'm re re republishing recycling, um, that sounds terrible, re-releasing an episode from last fall where I used my observations from the Indiana Pacers, that's basketball, um, an Indiana Pacers game to cover the basics of shape. Amazon Prime just released... A movie called air about the creation of the air Jordan line of shoes. I wanted to see it in the theaters because Viola Davis is in it. Um, but it's only playing at select theaters and I have not been able to get into the theater to see it. So I watched it on prime, but when I was doing the episode on shape, I watched a lot of clips of Michael Jordan and wow. Wow. Is he amazing. Um, and watched Watching the movie got me all fired up about basketball again, so I hope you enjoy the episode. And also, if you haven't seen Air, I highly recommend it. I'm just not passionate about shape. I love space. I love looking at the platonic solids that create the structure for the kinosphere and the way the space scales bounce around it strategically. I even love the notation for space. I love the body. It's full of mystery and quirkiness that pop up endlessly at my job. And I love effort, the way each person's movements can define and also unite us. But shape? Well, I'm hoping that by the time I force myself to go back through the material, I find something that sparks a love for it, too. This story starts many years ago when my brother-in-law worked for the Chicago Sky. And when he was working for the Chicago Sky, he gave my husband and I a couple of comp tickets to see the Chicago Sky play the Indiana Fever. I have no idea how long ago this was, but we definitely had fewer kids than we do now. And so it was at least a decade ago. Being a decade ago, I don't really remember much about the game. I don't remember who won, but I do remember being impressed by the player's skill. Really impressed. And I'm not easily impressed. More recently, one of the clients at the Pilates studio gave me a bunch of comp tickets to the Pacers game. And by a bunch, I mean 10. She looked at me and said, you have a lot of kids, right? Yes, I do. Then she just handed me the whole stack. Now, I just have to sidebar here for a moment. And, well, here's the deal. I have five kids, the oldest of which happened to be out of town the week of the game, so we had enough comp tickets for each of the younger kids to bring a friend this is not really my parenting style. We don't do big birthday parties or lots of playdates. We're really introverted. That's my excuse uh, or reason. That's my reason. So anyway, my husband and I drove two cars to get everybody to the game and we felt like we were organizing a field trip, which we kind of were. If parenting were a video game, we totally leveled up. Not quite as much as getting a puppy, but at least as much as letting the kids eat their Halloween candy instead of sending it all to the dentist. Yes, I am that mom. Anyway, I owe you guys an episode on shape, and I have been trying to sharpen my observation skills, so I thought I'd kill two birds with one stone and observe at the Pacers game, narrowing my focus to shape. I was super pleased at how much I was able to see and the variety of movements observable in a professional basketball game while sitting next to a couple of third graders, no less. And I'm geeked to tell you about it. First off, let's talk about the concept of shape. If you've been around for a while, you've heard me mention Laban Movement Analysis and the concepts of body, effort, shape, and space as they relate to human movement, which create the taxonomy of LMA. If you're curious about Laban Movement Analysis, you can check out my website. There's a page of information there on on Rubolf. Rubolf. Sorry, bud. Rudolf Laban, the brain behind Laban movement analysis. Um, Rudolf Laban personally developed the concepts of space, which clearly maps our personal space, and the concept of effort, which describes the intricacies of the speed, weight, flexibility, and flow of human movement. The understanding of the body that's in the taxonomy was initiated by Laban, or maybe I should say he recognized that there was a need to include an understanding of the physical body within his framework. But that understanding was more fully developed by Ermgard Bartinev, who was one of his students and also a dancer and a physical therapist. Needless to say, she had an intricate understanding of the human body and how it was connected and physically moved. In the development of the movement analysis framework, Laban and his students or, or disciples um, Mm, okay, just a wee tangent. Laban was known for coming up with ideas and then passing them on to his students to fully develop. He had a lot of ideas and he wasn't afraid to give them away. There's this quote of his that I came across while reading one day that I cannot find to quote to you verbatim, but I will find it eventually. But he essentially says, everyone should have access to my work. Take it and use it. He wasn't someone who'd go after you for copyright infringement. Let's just put it that way. He wanted everyone to have access to his work. So now back to the development of the system. Laban had the initial idea for the shape category as a way to describe how the body moved in different pathways through space. And I can totally see Laban sitting in his attic, probably naked, most likely high, thinking to himself, We've analyzed the body and the kinosphere, but now, how does the body get from one point to another within the kinosphere? Essentially, we know all about the vehicle, and we have the geographical map, but no navigation system to describe how we get from one place to another. Shape is that part of the system. Shape is Google Maps. It can show you multiple ways to get from point A to point B. Like I said earlier, this wasn't something that Laban himself brought to fullness. It was his idea, but it was developed by his students, Warren Lamb, Judith Kestenberg, and also Irmgard Bartinieff, because she's awesome. Bartinieff, with her excellent understanding of the body, was able to shed light on what was possible for the human skeleton and musculature to accomplish – The human body can't just move any way it wants to. Range of motion, even in the most flexible people, is limited by the shape and nature of the joints. Hinge joints, like the knee and elbow, only flex and extend. Ball and socket joints, like the hip and shoulder, can create circular motions and rotation. Warren Lamb did a lot of work with Laban in industrial and professional settings and developed a system for analyzing the decision-making process. Lamb's work is really interesting and has some really, really cool implications and applications, but just like on Movement Analysis, it's essentially unheard of and totally flies under the radar, at least if you're in the United States. Also, the literature is dry. I'm sorry, but it is. I should really take one for the team and sift through the literature and make some sense of it for an episode. Well, that's going really far down on the episode list. On the other hand, Judith Kestenberg's work is amazing. Kestenberg worked with kids and had some really significant observations on how shape is present in the movement of babies and children as the basis for not only physical shapes, but also effort preferences that become part of who we are as adults. More on that later. Kestenberg deserves her own episode. Well, that's two more episodes on the list and a lot of reading for me. That's okay. I don't need to sleep. Okay, shape. Shape. You know, when you search for something in Google Maps and it gives you two or three options for how to get from point A to point B, and each route is highlighted so you can see approximately how you're getting there, those routes are what's described in modes of shape change. There are three modes of shape change spoke, arc, and carve. Let's just hang out in our map app for a moment. Spoke like movement or spoking is the route that's the lowest amount of miles, the route that will get you there as directly as possible as the bird flies, if that were possible in a car. An arc-like movement or arcing is a more circuitous route. It might get you there faster, but you'll travel more miles. I live in Indianapolis and we have two major highways, Interstate 65, which pretty much runs north and south through the middle of Indy. And Interstate 465, which makes a circle around the city. So if I were on the south side and I wanted to travel to the north side, I could take the Spoking route, Interstate 65, which is more direct, but actually takes longer because of traffic. Or I could take the arcing route, Interstate 465, and go around the city to the north side, which covers more miles, but it has less traffic, so I get there faster. Travel time's make absolutely no difference in this illustration. But if you ever visit Indianapolis, now you have insider knowledge of traffic patterns. Carving, um, carving would be like taking in the scenic route, a little north, swing east for a few blocks, west for a bit, back south, north again for a bit. We're not in a hurry to get to our destination. We'd rather do some window shopping and a couple of errands along the way. Now let's take this from... Google Maps into the physical body. If I were going to look at this in the body, well, no, let's let's go straight to basketball because there is a wide variety of modes of shape change in multiple directions in basketball. And who doesn't want to talk about basketball really now? I live in Indiana and I'm surprised it took me 19 episodes to get here. This should have been my opener. Anyway, there are a bunch of links to basketball highlights in the show notes. So if you are as unfamiliar with basketball as I was a couple of weeks ago, start in the show notes spoking is linear movement so when a player jumps up for a three-pointer and their arms go from the middle of their body straight up in the air their arms are making a spoking motion it's accentuated by the accompanying jump you can see this right at the beginning of the steph curry highlights he makes a bunch of three-point jump shots and you can see how direct he is with his movement there's another great example in the Giannis clip Literally, it's the first shot on the clip, and he blocks it with a super clear spoke. arm straight up, blocks the ball beautifully. It is so succinct and efficient. Oh my God. Watch the replay in slow motion from the camera on top of the backboard, and you can see his hand spoke right up to block the ball. I never thought I would get this excited about basketball, but here we are. I never thought I would get this excited about anything except for classical ballet. But then Viola Davis happened, and now the whole world is full of possibilities. But I digress. Now, let's talk about what arcing looks like in the body. About 30 seconds into the Giannis clip, he makes a layup and arcs his arm to get the ball in. Watch the slow motion instant replay and you'll see the arc of Giannis's arm in the shot really clearly. There are other places where arcing is more clear, like in golf. Uh, check the show notes for the video clip of Joanne Carner. Really, you could watch just about any golfer because the nature of the golf swing requires an arcing motion. But when I Google searched golfers, Joanne was depicted wearing an epic hot pink track suit. And is there really any need to look further than an epic hot pink track suit? Obviously not. Next, carving. The circuitous route. Michael Jordan is a boss at carving. Yes, clips are in the show notes. But seriously, where do I even start? Okay, if we think back to our Google Map route, carving is the least efficient way to get from point A to point B. In human movement, it embraces all three dimensions. And because it has so many movement possibilities within those three dimensions, it can be really unclear where the movement is going next. Jordan uses this to his advantage and moves the ball all over the place to fake out his opponent so they have no idea where the ball is going before it's launched into the basket. You can also see some more slow motion carving in, wait for it, arm knitting. It's like regular knitting, but instead of using knitting needles to hold your stitches, you use your arms. The movement of the arms traverses through all three dimensions as they work the stitches. Now, I have no idea how you sip tea or go to the bathroom while arm knitting. It seems like a pretty serious time and body commitment, but some people love it and apparently have superhuman bladder capacity. Anyway, there's a clip in the show notes of Arm Knitting with Stacey. Watch the movement of her arms, not the movement of the yarn. The other place carving is super clear is in the movement of a potter's hands. It's a really slow carve, and I, of course, included a link for you in the show notes, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's really hard not to watch how his work takes shape. Really, maybe watch that first and get it out of your system, and then watch the movement of the potter's hands. Okay, next is shape qualities. We talked about the modes of shape change, spoking, arcing, and carving. We have also assumed that there are both points A and B to this movement story, a starting point and a destination. But part of shape also describes movement that has a starting point, but no definite destination. This movement away from a destination is defined differently than movement that has a destination. So if I were going to drive from Indianapolis to New York, I'd map out a route that would get me from Indianapolis to New York and follow it. But if I just wanted to head east, then I'd hop on Interstate 465 and then to I-70 and then just keep heading east. No specific destination, just a general direction. This destinationless, it's a word, movement is described not by spoking, arcing, or carving, because those all describe movement from point A to B. This is described by the direction it's traveling in as it relates to the body. Shape qualities are all about the journey, and generally, they align with the directional scale. And I will put this up on Instagram so everybody can see it and practice it with me. So now, a dance break. Everybody up. Well, not if you're driving or arm bending obviously. Imagine that you are standing in the cube, which is perfectly sized for your personal space. With your right arm, reach as high up towards the top of the cube, your cube, as you can. Then crouch down and touch the bottom of your cube. Now take your right arm across your body and reach as far to the wall to your left as possible, and then out to the right. Keep going towards the wall on your right, but don't fall over. Then reach that right arm behind you and lean back so you can get as far back there as you can. And then reach your arm forward and lean forward a bit. Seriously though, please don't fall. As far out as you can reach, you touch the walls of the cube that defines your personal space. It is your personal space after all. You've done the dimensional scale and found your destination on all six sides of the cube. All of the movements you just did had destinations in the walls of your cube in the Google map of your personal space. But in real life, we may move, but not have a destination. We might be rising, but not all the way to the top of our cube, then descending, but not all the way to the floor. If you wanted to reach across your body, you'd enclose your chest. If you wanted to reach out away from your midline, but not all the way out to a specific destination, you'd make a spreading motion. I will not make a man-spreading joke here. Moving to the back of your personal space creates a retreating motion, and moving forward creates an advancing motion. So now all the motions you just did with your right arm, try them with just your right shoulder and rib cage, and this will help you feel the shape qualities without being overly directionally focused. Lift that right shoulder up, sink it down, cross your body with it, and then close your chest as much as you can and then open it and spread it out to the side. Retreat it back and then advance it forward. As you are doing this, try not to think about the destination, but the journey. What does it feel like to move your body that way? It will feel different for everyone. There's no right or wrong here. So let yourself be open to feeling all the feelings, but please no one cry. I want to circle back to basketball here for a moment, because as previously mentioned, I do live in Indiana and it's long overdue. So I went to the game with a goal of observing shape, but I had never really taken the time to appreciate basketball as more than just a game where points are scored. And there were a lot of things that just struck me. The pure physicality of the players is mind-boggling. In the last episode, I mentioned that as a dancer, I was naturally gifted at jumping. So I had a heightened appreciation of everything a basketball player can do while jumping. Like the fact that they can jump and then shoot the ball. It almost looked like they were jumping for the added advantage of seeing the hoop more clearly and then taking aim for their shot. Yanis did an amazing hmm I don't know the technical name for this. I'm sorry. Side bend in his jump and like essentially took a shot from the side in midair. It was so cool. I specifically looked for all the modes of shape change as well as shape qualities and felt like everything was required. It was such a treat to be able to observe movement so rich in movement possibilities. When the players dribbled the ball, you could totally see how they used shape qualities to move through space and keep the ball going all different directions. You could watch any of the clips in the show notes and see this. Just watch the dribbling instead of the shots, and you'll see how they use different shapes to travel with the ball. I will confess that I thought there would be a lot of the spreading movement from defenders trying to block, like mama bear style, making themselves as big as possible. But there really wasn't as much as my preconceived notions thought there should be. Um, There was, however, an almost gratuitous arm opening that I found interesting and a little humorous. The player, um, I have forgotten his number, but he was one of the tallest on the team. Wait, um, I have Google. Let me just go watch the clip and see if I can find it. Okay, it's actually number 88, and I am not going to try and pronounce his name because I will botch it, um, but he is seven feet tall. Um, This movement he did isn't in the highlights, but I was totally fascinated by it. When he was blocking an offensive player outside the three-point line, (laughs) listen to me talking like I know things about basketball, he'd arc his arms from a near space position down next to his thighs out to the side. Definitely an arc, definitely not spreading. It was almost as if he was saying, Dude, I'm seven feet tall with a seven foot wingspan. This is how much space I can cover casually without breaking a sweat. Are you sure you want to try and get the ball past me? Now, I have no idea what was actually going on in his mind, but it sure was fun to watch and then silently caption. Last little note here. In the last episode, I mentioned the concert master at the Indianapolis Symphonic Orchestra performance I went to and the ceremony surrounding his entrance on stage. Well, guess who played the anthem at the basketball game? It was the ISO Concert Master. Small world. Thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, if you have any questions, you can email me, laurel at com. Take care, friends.